Welcome to Big Brave Business. This is a podcast built on the belief that you can create absolutely anything for yourself. Whether it's a dream job or a dream life, it's all possible for you. I'm Amanda Nelson, a virtual assistant and digital marketer. And that's Sarah Heater, podcast producer and strategic consultant. Each week, we will share insights from working with dozens of clients, stories of how we got where we are, and encourage you to see us as your new business besties. So grab a cup of coffee and let's talk being brave in business. Welcome back to Big Brave Business. How are you, Sarah? I am doing great. How are you, Amanda? I am doing well. I am so happy that we're chatting today and I'm excited about what we're chatting about, which is our money stories, money mindsets, all things money, money, money. That's where yeah, you this go. has been money. a long time coming. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, this has been fine. a long time coming because it is something we've insinuated. It's part of, I think, I personally think it's part of everyone's journey who chooses to pursue entrepreneurship. There's a money story going on there. But since you work with a money coach, why don't you explain real quick, like, what does that even mean when we talk about like a money story or a money mindset? Yeah, totally. And when Sarah says that I work with a money coach, I personally do not have a money coach. I wish I did. One of my clients is an incredible, an incredible money coach, and I'm obsessed with her. Her name is Debbie Sasson, and she specifically works with Jewish female entrepreneurs, but she will work with anybody. So anyway, shout out to her. This is where all of this comes from. If you want to know more about money stories, I highly recommend checking out her podcast, which is called Mastering Money in Midlife. But also look her up on Instagram because there's so much goodness there. And also I hear really good things about the person that helps her um, create her content. <coughs> Me. So <laughs> I don't do her, I don't do her social media management, but I do create some of her content. To answer your question, a money story is how you view money based upon your upbringing. And not only just your upbringing, but how did your grandparents view money? Like, how did your mother and your father handle money? Did your mom have to hide purchases from your dad? Did your dad have a gambling issue? Did your, or even it's just something as simple as, did you hear what we've all heard probably growing up, which is money doesn't grow on trees. That very saying can really feed into your mindset as an adult of, money is not always going to be available. So you're constantly thinking in a scarcity mindset. Those little things um, filter into how you view money and view your money story. So it's really dissecting the people that helped raise you, whether that's an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, whether it's, I don't know, a previous boss even. Some people that have had an influence in your life as you were growing up and how did they view money? And if you really sit and think about it, it's very, it will easily correlate to how you view money. So that's a money story. So in starting with that, Sarah, how do you feel about, how do you feel about money? Well, that's so loaded, but um, (laughs) I'm going to say it's a struggle for me. Definitely. I, I listened to an audio book version of You Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Sincero, I think. And one of the things I loved in that book is she really encourages you to write a letter 
to money and you'll see a lot of how you feel about money show up in that. It's been a few years since I read it. So that might be an exact, if you're like an expert on the book, you might be like, that's not exactly how it goes. Anyways, it's something like that. And what's interesting for me is she put some examples in there, but what's interesting for me is I started thinking about what would that letter look like for me? And I realized I have a lot of fear and insecurity around money. Like I'm not confident about money. And in the work that I do with the Girl Scouts, if you didn't know, I'm a lifetime member and I also host a podcast for troop leaders and it's called the Troop Leader Experience. But a big part of Girl Scout programming these days, a huge, huge pillar in that is financial literacy because there is a huge gender gap in the financial literacy of girls versus boys. And yes, I know there are more gender identities than that, but that's what the Girl Scout research is based on. So it's gendered. In working with Girl Scouts, there's a lot of realization that, first of all, yes, I believe that and I think it's good and I want to be part of that for girls of like helping them build financial literacy, but there's also a lot of insecurity in, I don't have much. (laughs) So I definitely, let me say also, growing up, like I always had everything I needed. I'm very, very privileged in that way that I always had like a hot dinner. I always had groceries in my house. I always knew where my next meal was coming from. So I I always had a roof over my head. I always had school supplies. Like I absolutely had the privilege of always having everything I needed. And also there was very much an underlying understanding that there was never enough money and that there were so many things that we couldn't have or do that maybe my peer group had or, you know, other people would get to do or other people would get to have. I would get invited to like international high achiever events and I could not go because we could not afford it or like things like that. There was an understanding that college was expected, but I was going to have to pay for it. So I had to work hard to get academic scholarships. Like there were a lot of things where, yes, I had quite a bit of privilege and also there was this mindset of there's never enough money. So I really became an adult who has a belief that there's never enough money and people who have enough money are not me. And I'm not like my family. We're not those type of people, quote unquote, like we never have enough money. So we have to make do with not having enough money. That's that's like the the mindset, even though what the actual facts are is that I've always had everything I needed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that does make sense. So I've done some coaching around this with my former coach. And I also have spent time, obviously, like reading and whatnot, like trying to learn a little bit about it and like exploring how I feel about it and changing my mindset around money. But but yeah, that's like an overview of where I'm coming from and just trying to give myself evidence that... I've always had everything I need that I have more than enough and there's always enough. It comes when you need it. All those kind of kind of mindset shifts. But what about you? Well, first, I want to ask you a question before we dive into me, which is it sounds like I wonder how much of your personality when it comes to business and high achievement comes from the fact that you were raised to like with your college situation. Oh, yeah, you're expected to go to college, but you have to pay for it. Or like that achieve like your achievements were definitely tied to 
making money because you had yeah. to, like it was expected, like yeah. you have to make your own way, which really fed into that, you that personality type, that Enneagram type where you feel like you're only as valuable as like your achievements. Yeah, no, you're spot on. And actually one of my friends and I were talking about this because we have a mutual friend. All three of us always used to aspire to like sweet C-suite jobs. We've known each other since college and we've all had this like aspiration. And one of the three of us was raised with significantly more privilege. The other two of us, very comparable. And what we have said is that what's interesting is we all had this shared C-suite objective since we were very young. But for our one friend, it was about what she could contribute and what she could accomplish and being seen as a leader. For the other two of us who had slight, significantly less privilege than her, but still a lot of privilege, it was always about money. It was about how much money we could make. It was about being like almost like the great white hope of our family, like mm-hmm. that we could be the one who who makes it kind of a thing. Both of us had that mindset about it. And and it's we've talked about, the two of us have talked about how it's interesting to note that although the three of us became friends because we had very similar shared aspirations, we came from a really different mindset about it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're totally right. That's exactly, I mean, it's, it, that's why I think why I started with everybody who goes into entrepreneurship has a money story that influences why they made the decision and also how they show up as an entrepreneur. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Totally agree. I'm going to start by saying I want to be extremely protective of my family when I tell this story, but I also want to like be very vulnerable and open. But I will say from um, my parents were separated when I was very young and I had two, I have two siblings that are older. They both made the decision to go live with my dad. I stayed with my mom. So I was very much so raised, even though my dad is great. He listens to the show. I love him dearly. My mom is also a a good person. I chose to be raised by my mom. And so I was basically raised kind of in a single mom, like a single one parent household. And um, again, I had things that I needed. There was just really, there was no like, let's go buy a whole bunch of new clothes at the beginning of every school year. There was never any, there was never really any extras. I didn't get a car until I was like, about to leave to go to college. My mom took me to school every single day, all through high school. There was definitely no extra. You know, I got free lunches all through elementary and middle school because we just didn't have the funds. I'm not, this doesn't hurt me or cause me any kind of stress, but it did, it does affect the money story, which is why I'm going into this. My siblings, however, were raised by my dad in a big brick two-story home out in the country. And my sister drove a sports car and my brother, you know, got a, a new truck when he turned 16. And you know, I didn't go to prom because we couldn't afford a dress, that kind of thing. But it was because I chose to be raised by my mom. And so it was very, it was very much so like if I needed something, I could have it. But it was always like money was given begrudgingly in a way. So it's like the way that I think about money is very much so like you have to earn it, you know, like you have to be deserving of money because Mm. it's like you have to do something good in order to get money. It's never just like freely given, right? So Mm. I've talked before about how when I was very young, I, I remember thinking to myself doing the math of like, okay, if I skip, if I skip 
you know, getting an extra carton of milk, which costs 25 cents. I remember having these thoughts in elementary school. If I save 25 cents a day, how much would I have at the end of the week? How much could I have at the end of the month? What could I do with that money? I could save it because my whole life was like, how do I get the heck out of this small town that I grew up in and make something of myself, right? Those were always the thoughts in my mind. But I hate to say that I had a scarcity mindset because I always have operated that the universe was open to me. Like I've, I remember thinking I can there one day something will break for me and I will make great amount of money. But I always do remember thinking you have to earn it. You have to make it happen. It's never just going to be handed to you, Amanda. You have to earn it. You have to be worthy of it. There is no like there is no easy money for me. I always remember thinking you are responsible for working really, 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 really hard. So the scarcity comes from if I don't work for it, I won't get it. It's not, oh my God. Yeah. It's there's never that whole thing, you know, very similar to what we talked about last week, which was there is no fear inside of me about am I scared that I'm not going to have enough clients or enough work. The fear is, am I working hard enough? Am I being enough? Am I worthy of the money that I'm making? Am I worthy for my clients to feel like they're getting their worth? Interesting. And that's huh. really where my my money story comes from, which is I'm only going to have as much as I'm worthy of. It's a really effed up mindset when you really think about it because we all have down weeks. We all have down days, down months, down years. And on those times when we're all having a harder time, if you have that mentality of, oh, I'm not worth it, what happens when you don't make that much money? Like I talked about last week when we talked about fears. What happens when I'm when the work that I'm doing now that makes me great money that I'm so proud of? What happens when it's not sustainable? Then how do I feel about myself? How do I how do I view money then? You know, if I attach so much of my worth to what I make, what am I worth at the end of the day when I don't? What if my computer crashed tomorrow and I can't work anymore? What's the worth? You know, so it's a very dangerous mindset without trying to be like super deep, but also to be very vulnerable. It's when you start to really, you know, and I've done a lot of work on this learning from Debbie, who's incredible about what is my money story and how does it affect how I show up and reminding myself that I'm worth it no matter what, no matter if I make a dollar or I make $100,000 this year, I am very much so worth it no matter how much money I bring in. It's also hard when you have a partner who is the exact same way. Like he and I mm-hmm. both operate very similarly. We're never happier than when we've made our goals for the month, which we we keep a couple goal, we keep a yearly goal for our incomes. And so whenever we don't hit it or personally, we take it very personal. We take it very hard. So yeah, (laughs) it's very complex and it's very complicated. But when you start really dissecting it, it's so worth it to do for yourself. Like I highly, just like I recommend people take the Enneagram, I highly recommend people dissect their money story and how how you were raised. Were you always aware of that money story and that money mindset? Like, Did you know what your assumptions were and the story you were telling yourself about money? Or is that something that you had to take a journey to discover and understand about yourself as an adult? I definitely, it's definitely been a journey because it's not something that I like woke up and was aware of. Like I never really considered, like I've never asked myself, how do I feel about money? And then when I heard Debbie Sasson on her podcast talk about it, I was like, you know what? I don't think I've really ever like done the work and really thought about it. 
Um, but it, it will blow your mind when you really start to think about the behaviors of your life. Like, why did I think I needed to have a job at eight years old, at 10 years old? Why was I like busting my ass trying to make money at 10 years old when I should have been a kid? You know, why did I stop? I quit cheerleading, which I was very passionate about. I quit dance, which I was very passionate about to go make money because I wanted to be successful. And I thought money equates success. You know, and I, but I also grew up with a mom who was, you know, we lived in a trailer down a dirt road my entire life, which was a great upbringing. I have no regrets about that whatsoever. It's where I fell in love. We didn't have internet or TV. I guess where I fell in love with reading. It was very basic. And then I'd spend my weekends at my dad's house where it was like, they drive nice cars and we go out to dinner and we'll go to the movies, things that I never got to do with my mom. Very, so I kind of got to see both different lifestyles. So it was kind of like I was aware that there was a better option out there, but I was also incredibly grounded by living pretty damn humbly with my mom. And I think it's made me a really good person now because I feel, I feel like it's one of the better qualities about myself is that I can be, I can hang out with anybody and be humble and be at a backwoods bar in Bruton, Alabama, (laughs) you know, where I'm from. But at the same time, I can get on a plane and I can go to Las Vegas or New York and hang with the best of them too. But yeah, it's definitely been a journey for sure. And it really will blow your mind, just like the Enneagram will, when you start to really, when you're made aware of something and you can kind of look and see, oh my God, that's exactly where this mindset came from. Because it's how I was raised. It's how I was taught to believe. What about you? Has it been something like a journey for you? I think I really always knew that money was a source of stress and it was a pain point for me. But it wasn't until I was laid off, my job was eliminated, and I was left to my own devices to to pursue entrepreneurship. And then I think when I started making, I'm trying to think of like at what point I really started to dig into my money story. I think pretty much right away in having that security of my W-2 job being ripped away, I was like, okay, I am looking this fear in the face now. I'm looking this pain point in the face and I have some shit to deal with about money. And so funny, one of my best friends gave me a money tree when I decided I was going to try to start a business instead of getting another nine to five. She, a couple of my friends put together like this big care package for me of like self-care items and affirmations. And they also gave me a money tree. And I have a black thumb, you guys. I am the worst gardener. I have never been able to keep I have killed a cactus. Okay. Like I wait, so you're saying this is an actual tree? Yeah, it's a plant. I don't know what the actual plant name is, but they call it a money tree. Yeah, but it's like a little plant. Okay. And it grows, it can grow big like a tree, but it's like, but that's like the nickname for oh, it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a type of plant. You must not be a plant guy either. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Every plant in my house is 100% fake. And from, okay. Part, so from we're the, the we're, yeah. we're the same that way. Okay. I never knew that about you. I could see you being a plant person. I've had people but- give me plants before and been like, you'll seem like a plant person. And I'm like, Come to my you house. Every like a plant every plant that is in my house came from the Target dollar spot. It is not real. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. Fake plants are like a miracle to me because I cannot keep them alive. I'm not a gardener. It's not fun to me. 
So the stretcher was so sweet because the idea is that this particular plant, like when it flourishes, your 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 money is supposed to also flourish, right? Well, because I have this like really loaded money story and I suck at gardening, it felt like immense pressure for like the first year and a half of my business. I was determined that my business could only be successful if I kept this damn plant alive. And I was, if it started to look a little rough, I would get so worried. And it was so stressful for me. Like I had such a strong correlation between this damn plant and my, like the money that would come to me. Anyways, I finally, there were a couple times that I would ask Eric, like, please, can I just get rid of it? Because it will, it was such a sweet gesture, but honestly, like, it is causing me stress and I appreciate the gift so much, but also the like practicality of I've done it for a year. Can I just be done? And Eric kept saying, no, no, no. And finally, at one point, like once I, I knew I did not need to correlate it to my money, I intentionally, this is terrible. I'm sorry to all the plant people. I intentionally stopped taking care of it so it would die so I could just be done with it because it is just a source of stress. So anyways, the money tree is no more, but I... I worked really hard for like two years to keep this thing alive, this sucker alive. Around that time when I was struggling to keep it alive because I was so determined that this was directly related to how much money I could make in my business and whether or not my business was going to make it was directly linked to whether this freaking plant was going to make it. That's when I started like digging in like, okay, you've got some issues, girlfriend. Like, what are you so afraid of? Why? And, and I mentioned I had been working with a coach and we did talk about this. And we really started digging into why do I feel like there's not enough and look at all the evidence that there is enough. There's always been enough. And yeah, there could be more (laughs) and there will be. But like, I've always had enough. Frankly, I've always had more than enough. I've had more than enough to get by. And so there were a lot of like grounding techniques that we worked on of like, look around at the abundance around you. Look around at how much more you have than you need. Look at how many, specifically, I remember this, look at how many spoons are in your drawer. Like you have more than enough. And that is just one piece of evidence of like, look at all the enoughness Look at how much more than enough you have around you. And that like really has helped me start to make that shift. That was a couple of years ago, but that, was, that really helped me make start to make that shift. It's still a work in progress. And I try to catch myself when I'm having those limiting money thoughts. But yeah, it's, it's a big one. That's like the big kahuna for me, I think, is my relationship with money. Yeah, I also think something that's sad about money and being an entrepreneur is, or just in general, is that I remember, and Drew and I talk about this all the time, my husband Drew, if you're a new listener, we talk about it all the time, literally eight years ago, maybe even less than that, I was making like $600 at my job and I had two other part-time jobs to supplement I was so broke and I had a one bedroom apartment with me and my little dog. And I remember being so broke that we would share a box of Cheerios for like a couple of days until I would get paid just feeding my little dog Cheerios because I was like, girl, we are in this together. I do not have any money. And now you fast forward, I make I'm on track to make six figures this year and it still feels like it's not enough. (laughs) 
Isn't that so messed up? Exactly. Exactly. I think that too of I'm making more than I'm making almost triple my previous corporate salary. And still, we're essentially living paycheck to paycheck. Like, why? Why is that? And yes, the cost of living has dramatically increased. First of all, instead of being single, I have a family of five. Second of all, our our just our real estate costs out here have like quadrupled in the past three or four years. So yes, cost of living has gone up, but it's also like, okay, my issues with money are not because I wasn't making enough or I'm not making enough now. My issues with money are definitely financial literacy related. <laughs> like I need better budgeting. I need better or not even budgeting. I don't really like that word, but like better, <laughs> it shows, but better financial management. Like I need to face it. And I think part of the reason why I don't have great financial management is because I've had such fear and insecurity around money that I didn't want to deal with my money. This is like a super vulnerable share, you guys. So shout out to you if you're listening. When I said I want to be business besties, I like meant it. We're best friends now. So I hope you uh, I hope you recognize that this is some loaded shit to share. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think... Drew and I have enough. It's really just us. Now, I will say too, and this is also a vulnerable share, it shows up the way I view money really showed up a big way for me in the decision on whether or not to have kids. Because a a good example, a vulnerable share, is that I have a stepdaughter who is 14 and she has a debit card. And if she needs something, we put money on it. Let me explain to you what would have happened Growing up, had I asked to have a debit card at 14 years old and was able just to go to the mall and request money to go shopping with my friends, that would have never, when I say never happened, I mean, I probably wouldn't be alive to have even requested something like that. So it's almost, I have to check myself because to me, it's almost infuriating that she would even have the nerve to ask because at 14 years old I was working like I had a job girlfriend and my stepdaughter she just gets money you know gets gets the money and guess what it's my stepdaughter it's not my daughter it's my stepdaughter and so for me it's Drew how do you want to raise your child like if that's how you want to raise her like do it it's we are living in a different time but to me I also want to go ahead because what how was I raised you have to earn your money Drew doesn't want to instill that in care. 100%. And so let me explain to you and I tell you that if it was my biological child that I was responsible for her upbringing, she would not have that debit card. She would not have that money being deposited into her account because guess what? You have to earn it. And now looking back, is that right or is that wrong? I mean, really think no, about I, it. I totally, I totally agree with you. And I think step parenting is such an interesting version of parenting, isn't it? Because coming in a little bit later in their lives, we can ask questions like that. And I actually think, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think it, (laughs) hello, Eric, who's listening to this and I'm talking about you. Um, I think sometimes it helps him even be a better parent. And by that, I mean, it helps him be the parent he wants to be because it is so easy for all parents to get into that mindset you were just talking about of like, this is how it was for me. Yeah. Like, so almost I want you to have to know that also, except if I really think that through. No, I don't. I would never want that for you. And that's something that we wrestle with too of like any hardship we knew, we don't want our kids to know. We want our kids to have better. But also if you don't have any hardship, then 
who does that make you into as a person? You have to have some adversity to overcome in order to be a good person. If you live a totally privileged life with no adversity, and I'm thinking about Little Fires Everywhere, if you've read slash watched it, the idea of the Yale essay of what hardships have you had to overcome. And if you haven't seen it, there is a very privileged white high school senior who is trying to get into Yale and she has to write an essay, a personal statement about overcoming adversity. And she is very much struggling to come up with what to write about. And I think about that and like, not that that girl, not that that character is inherently a bad person, but certainly what she ends up going up against, facing adversity kind of builds character. It makes you better a little bit. So it's just an interesting kind of point of like, how do we teach our kids lessons and give them experiences that shape their character? And also everything we do as parents is so that they have a better life than we had. That's what we want for them, right? Yeah, it's just- yeah. It's, it is very hard. And you and I have talked about this as step moms before. It's like my husband grew up with no nothing. His dad died when he was really young. He was raised by a mom with three siblings, him included three. And so he, money was always really tight. So for him, it's like, I didn't have it growing up, but I want you to. So he overcompensates because he grew up in a home that didn't have that. So he overcompensates by giving, 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 giving. And I'm on the other hand going like, hey, quit giving, make them earn it. Like, no, you don't just give, you don't just hand somebody. So she wants a new skateboard. Guess what? Well, I guess what I had to do, go get a job. So it's going to be very curious to see like growing up how that is reflected. But that did pay a real play a really big part in me making a decision on do I want to raise children who I have tons and I'm very opinionated. I have tons of opinions about how to raise a child (laughs) appropriately and I can't do it. Like I would it would be incredibly hard for me. I would be basically just knowing myself personally. I would be regurgitating everything that my mom ever taught me. And guess what? I don't want anybody else to have to do that. Not that my mom was a bad person. She let me say that. She's not a bad person, but she did the best she could with what yes. she had. And 100%. also, yes. she raised me based off of her own upbringing. And guess and what? That, that might not be the best thing. I turned out and okay. You're wonderful. <laughs> you're one. That's what I was going to say. You're wonderful. So obviously, she did something right because you're wonderful. And also, I think it makes sense that every generation we want to do better than our parents. Our parents wanted to do better than their parents, not that their parents didn't do a good job, right? It goes back generationally. It is such a balance of like, we honor our parents and our grandparents and our great grandparents who came before us who did the best they could with the circumstances they had, but we want to do better. That's the whole point. And then I want my kids to do better than me, right? But I, it is interesting. So one, one last thing that I want to ask you about this Do you think your experience with like entrepreneurship and how that influences your relationship with money, the availability of money, et cetera, do you think that your entrepreneurship journey influences your kids, your stepkids? Do you hope that it does? Do you like what what lessons do you think they're getting, if any, and what lessons do you hope that they'll get from you pursuing your own, you know, your own work from home, your own business? Yeah, I think my circumstance is a little bit different than yours. We very rarely have my stepdaughter. My younger stepdaughter, my oldest stepdaughter has kids and living her best life. And, you know, she's she's very much so she doesn't live around here. I hope that my stepdaughter sees that 
you can create your own income by yourself. You can do that. I hope that she sees that you don't have to go to college and like have this big time degree or you can you can take the skills that you've learned and apply them. Do I think that's been the case? Probably not just because we're not like in close proximity. She sees how hard I work when she is here. And Drew is incredible about he brags about me all the time, which is like the sweetest thing ever. And so when he brags, I, he, you know, she hears that. So I hope that some, somehow resonates for her. But I'll be very curious to see. You know, she's a very big creative. She's a musician and a very sweet-natured little girl. She's still a little girl to me, even though she's a teenager. But she's still, you know, she's very sweet and musically talented. It'll be very, I'll be very curious to see what she'll do with her life. Like I said, my stepdaughter has, my oldest stepdaughter, Olivia, has um, children and she's always wanted to be a mother and she is doing that. It makes me so happy because she's like totally flourishing in that role. I can't wait to see what my youngest stepdaughter does as she gets older and, and you know, really thrives and, and see what she does. So I, long story short, I don't know. I don't think I've made a bit of difference in her seeing my entrepreneurial journey, but she's still young. Um, she knows we have a podcast. She has been on her school podcast, by the way. And she cool. thinks, yeah, she thinks that's really neat. But I don't think she really grasps like, oh, you quit your job and now you work for yourself. I think she just sees me sitting at a computer. And I and to, and to that point, I could probably do a bit more effort in talking more about what I do. What about you? Yeah, it's interesting for us. Again, with respect to all the people involved, both households, both our household and the kids' um, mom's household exited the corporate workforce and pursued entrepreneurship really close together. Totally different lines of work, totally different styles of business. Um, But I think for at least our younger two, because our, again, like you said, our oldest is grown, married, working, but our younger two who are still at home when both households made that choice, made that transition to entrepreneurship, there's no way that won't influence them. And that doesn't mean that they won't have corporate jobs, but I think they'll always know entrepreneurship is an option. And that's just a completely different mindset, I think, than if the only like major role models you have in your life are corporate employees working nine to fives. Because because you sort of then only see that as as the option. For me, being raised, my mom definitely was a big advocate for like a W-2 job. And my dad, I've mentioned this before, but he had huge entrepreneurship aspirations. He started multiple types of businesses. Many of them struggled. So he wound up in <laughs> Uh, shifting either to a new entrepreneurial endeavor or to a different W-2 for a while before going back to entrepreneurship in a totally different method. Lots of different industries, lots of different attempts. Um, Still an entrepreneur in a lot of ways, but also working a W-2 job at the same time. And I think what that really showed me is that entrepreneurship is really unstable and a W-2 job is a really stable choice. But then my adult experience was totally different because my W-2 job was unstable it got eliminated. And so far, my entrepreneurship journey has only continued to get more stable like over yeah. time. So that is just, and the different streams of income, which again is a whole other conversation, but like multiple revenue streams, et cetera, just make it even more stable. And these are things, going back to the financial literacy piece, these are things I didn't learn about having 
different revenue streams and and not putting all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. And I I think that there's no way our kids are not influenced that by that, especially the younger two, um, and especially because it happened in both households at very similar timing. So always knowing that it is an option for them. And I think the biggest lesson that I hope that they get from my whole journey in entrepreneurship and like learning about my own money story and how that influences how we show up for them as parents what I really hope above all is that they don't settle, that they don't settle for a life they hate at a job they hate, feeling like there's no other option, like there's yeah. no other way. I want them to always know there's always another way. There's always another option. If you are unhappy with your circumstances, you can change them. That's like the biggest thing that I just want them to know. And I hope that they're learning and I'm doing my best. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's super valid. I think about my dad. I remember my dad working three jobs when I was very young and he's still hearing my grandparents tell him like, oh, you got off of work early today. You don't have to be at work today. And they were always pushing that narrative. You have to work. You have to work. You have to work. And my dad, when he got a good job, he's still at the same job that he was at when he was 18 years old. And so he is through and through a corporate man. And when I got ready to leave my corporate job, he was like, I just hope you don't regret leaving a job that has benefits. My sister wanted to step out and do what I do. And she works at a bank. She has great benefits and she seemingly loves it. And when she wanted to work from home so she could spend more time with my nephew, my dad was like, I cannot believe you would ever leave a job with benefits like that. Like, I cannot believe you would do that. I hope you don't regret that. And guess what? She's still there. And so it is It is all about your mentality. It's all about how you were raised. It's very complex. And I hope that this conversation has inspired you to take a step back. Think about your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your family that raised you, the people that influenced your life, whether it was a And the generations that came before you too. Like what yeah. your whole, because we didn't even really talk about that, but like your whole multi-generational money story, like your parents raised you with their own money story. Where did that come from? That's yep. been something. That's another thing that I hope you'll you'll really take if you have never explored it. I hope you'll think about it. And if you are exploring it, if it is something that you're dealing with, then I hope this episode lets you know like you're not alone and we're right there with you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's complicated. Be kind to yourself when you consider all the things and when you start to look back on maybe money behaviors that you had in your past, be kind to yourself because we're all doing the best that we possibly can and you Looking back on my husband says all the time, I can't believe the, how irresponsible I was with money in my 20s. And I remind him all the time, you did the best you could with the information that you had at the time, period, the end. Can't go back and change it. Don't let it beat yourself up. And that goes with anything in life, by the way. This goes back to my mantra of no guilt in 2023. If you've made bad decisions in the past, if you've made like immature decisions, you're embarrassed. You dated the worst person on the planet. I don't care what it is. <laughs> um, remember that you did the best that you could at the time you did with the information that you had. And so did your parents and so yep. did their parents. Correct. Yeah. And and we're all just doing the best that we can. And for some people, that's going to look different And because they have different information and they have different circumstances. So it's also not a comparison game. And it's not an anger game. Like, I think that's also a big thing is like in that no, no anger, guilt, shame at yourself, no anger, guilt, shame necessary for your parents in giving you the money story that you have. We're all just doing the best we can and it can always get better. So with that being said, come check us out on Instagram. We want to connect with you because we're 
we are business besties now. So come hook up with us at Big Brave Business on Instagram. Amanda is at Amanda Nelson Reads and I am at Sarah K. Heater. And together we are at Big Brave Business and we'll see you next week. See you soon.